Prayer is listening to God's voice. Prayer is listening to God's voice. I want you to imagine a relationship where one person does all the communicating and the other person is never given an opportunity to say anything. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, that's my marriage, but I'm just joking. (laughs) But just imagine that. One person does all the talking, the other person does all the listening. The text that person sends are never read. The emails are never bothered with. The Instagrams are never checked. All the community is done by one person, and the other person doesn't bother to listen or respond at all. A lot of times, that's the picture of our prayer life. We talk to God, but we don't ever give Him a chance to say anything back to us. We come to the Lord in prayer, and we say, God, this, God, that, did you do this? Would you bail me out of this problem? Would you forgive me of this sin? Would you help me out in this area? And then we say, thank you, amen, and then we head on out the door onto the next important thing we have to do. And we don't ever give the Lord a chance to say anything to us. Often in prayer, we rush in and we don't even begin the prayer by by beginning, Lord, let me hear from you. I need to get in touch with you. I need a word from you. I need to experience your presence. I just want to worship you. And I'm going to be silent before you for a while. We just sort of go into prayer And just blurt it all out. In fact, over the years I've had people understandably say to me, Well, I don't pray or I don't pray much because I don't know what to say. How many of us have been in the place of prayer where we didn't know what to say, so we didn't pray because we didn't know what to say? But you see, if prayer is God speaking to us, then I don't need to say anything. You see, often we don't know what to say Because God doesn't want us to say anything. He wants us to listen. What we're going to be looking at the month of December are what I call the prayers of Christmas. And these are different folks in the Christmas story in prayer with God. But what we're going to discover as we go through this series together is that in most cases, they're not saying much to God. The Lord is speaking to them. In fact, if they had gone into God's presence and just run their mouth and not listen, they would not have understood what God was up to that first Christmas. There's a good chance they would have missed completely what God was doing. It was because they learned to listen to God that in the place of prayer, they discovered what God was doing in their life and they discovered what God was doing around them. And I want to submit to you this morning, if you and I will learn to listen to God in prayer, we will begin to discover what God is doing in us and what God is doing around us. You turn your Bibles with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And we're going to encounter here a couple by the name of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth, we believe at the time this story takes place, were probably over 60 years of age. Elizabeth had been barren all of her life. She had never had a child. 
and barrenness in the ancient world of the Middle East was considered a tragedy. It was thought of as a disgrace and a sign of the judgment of God on the woman and possibly on the marriage. To not have children was socially and economically considered a disaster. It was economically considered a disaster because who was going to take care of you when you got to be an old person if you didn't have any children? Often, barrenness was a cause even for a man to divorce his wife if he so chose. And we're going to encounter a gentleman here by the name of Zechariah who was a priest. At the time in Israel, there were 24 divisions of the priesthood. So when he mentions that he was of a certain division, he's one of those 24 divisions. And there were about 18,000 priests working and operating in Israel at that time. Now, you'll see in the story that it says that the lot fell to Zechariah. What they did, because you had 18,000 priests, there were too many priests for them all to be able to go into the temple in Jerusalem and to stand in the holy place and to burn the incense in the presence of God. So they drew lots as to which one we get to do it. And usually you only had one chance, one opportunity in your entire lifetime to do this. So this is Zachariah's day. He's going to get the lot. It's going to fall to him. He's going to draw that lot. And this will be an extremely important day for him because this is the only time in his life as a priest that he will be able to go into the temple, into the holy place, and to be able to burn incense before the Lord. Now, it will mention in the story at the time of sacrifice, and there were two major times of public prayer each day at this time of sacrifice. One was early in the morning, and the other one was mid-afternoon. I want to bring the first slide up to give you an idea of what the temple in Jerusalem looked like. At that time, it was called Herod's Temple. So called because it was built during the time of Herod. It was not as nice as Solomon's temple, which predated it. Uh, the back wall of Herod's temple is the only thing that exists to this day, and it is known as uh, the Wailing Wall over in Jerusalem. Now, if you'll notice on this diagram, you would enter the first court there. You had an outer court, which was called the Court of the Gentiles, so called because that was the last court that anyone could enter into. Um, who was uh, who was non-Jewish? Then you would go into the next court, which is called the court of the women. You'll see on the back that there were some steps. You would go up into the next court only if you were a Jewish male, and then you would ascend into the temple itself. Now, the temple had two rooms. The first room of which was called the holy place. And if you bring the next slide up, this will give you a depiction of what the holy place looked like. In the holy place, in the center of the holy place, was what was called the altar of incense. And that was where the priest would step up, go up the steps into the temple. And he would lay, the priest would lay the incense out on the altar. And then all of the other priests would leave. And the priest who had the lot for that day, in this particular story, Zechariah, would begin to burn the incense on that altar. Also in that room was a menorah, as you can see the candelabra on the side, as well as what was called the table of showbread. Now if you look at the back of the slide here, you will see the curtains. Those were two, actually two curtains, two layers of curtain. And that took you into the Holy of Holies where it was said that the presence of God literally was present in His Shekinah or manifested glory. Only the great high priest on the Day of Atonement 
was allowed to go back in there. Zechariah is coming into that first room in the story today called the holy place, and he is burning incense. Now, as he would burn incense, the room would be filled <coughs> excuse me, with the aroma of the incense. And the idea was that as this aroma was going up, the people of Israel were outside the temple praying, and that their prayers were going up to God and being received by God as a sweet aroma. That was sort of the symbolism that's going on. So Zechariah is there. He is standing in the holy place. The incense is burning. And that's how this story begins. Book of Luke chapter 1 beginning with verse 5. In the days of Herod king of Judah there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. I want to read the 19th verse again. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Now, this prayer of Christmas is a prayer of desperation. And Zechariah listens to God's response to this prayer. In those days, couples would get married usually in their teen years. Life expectancy was not nearly as long as we have in our culture today. So if you did not get married at 16, 17, 18 years of age and begin a family and the life expectancy in many cases did not go beyond 40 years of age and you were in tough shape. So folks would get married earlier and begin to have families. In the case of this couple, no doubt they had probably gotten married very what we would consider young in life. And then they were gone decade after decade till they were in their 60s with no children at all. And they had to deal with the silence of God. 
My sermon outline is continuing your bulletin, and I invite you, if you will, to follow along. They had to contend with the silence of God. And nothing is so confusing and frustrating in our lives as to when we are desperate for God to do something and to interface in our lives and to answer a specific prayer request, and all we get from Him is silence. And that silence is in particularly frustrating when we feel like we have, got, we have a need that is relational. In other words, that there is a relationship that we want with another person, whether it is with a child, whether it's with a parent, whether it's with someone else, whether it's in marriage, and we seem to get the silence of God in those areas of relationship. It is extremely frustrating to deal with. And you see, it, it talks in here about how godly Elizabeth and Zechariah were, but they still got silence. Even though they were keeping all the laws and commandments, God didn't seem to be listening to their prayer. And you see, folks, living for the Lord does not guarantee us that we get the answers that we want when we want them. Doing the right stuff does not mean that we can somehow or another force the hand of God to respond to a need when we bring it before the Lord. And often we get frustrated and we say, God, I'm living for you and I'm trying to live by your word and I'm trying to do what's right and yet my prayers aren't being answered and you seem to be silent. But living for the Lord, we'll see early what it does, but it does not guarantee that we're going to get the answers we want on the schedule that we want to get those answers. And that was the case here for John and Elizabeth. Excuse me, for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Notice verse 6. He says, we're, we're so old, God. You know, how could anything happen? They were both righteous before God and all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they were up in years. But we're never too old to experience a fresh work of God. We say too, too much. T-O-O. I'm too old. I'm too this. I'm too that for God to work. We say too far too much. And when we start saying that, we begin to live our lives looking in the rearview mirror instead of looking in the windshield. God wants us to live our lives looking primarily in the windshield and not looking in the rearview mirror of what He has done. Now, notice verse 8. It says that He was serving as a priest before God. That is more than just a statement of what He was doing. Zechariah was a priest. He was married to a priest's daughter. It was considered a position of double honor. But Zechariah, every day, goes about his work as a priest with a, to a God and for a God that he has, doesn't understand. I am his priest. I'm representing the Lord to the people. I'm doing God's work. And the deepest, most intense prayer that my wife and I share, God is not answering. I cannot help but wonder if Zechariah did not have many a day that he thought, if God is not going to answer my deepest request, in the area that my wife and I struggle in the most, if God is going to be silent, then why do I need to continue to be a priest? 
Why should I serve a God who is silent on the major issue of my life that I need Him to speak? All of us have got at least one area in our lives that we struggle with God over. All of us have got an area in our life that we pray over and we pray over and we pray over and God doesn't seem to answer. All of us pull some time playing Zechariah. God, why don't you answer the prayer in this area? God, why don't you do this in this area? God, why don't you solve this problem? And the temptation is to walk away from serving the Lord. Because God seems to be so silent and unresponsive. Henry Blackaby, who was the author of Experiencing God, wrote these words. You can respond to the silence of God in two ways. One response is for you to go into depression, a sense of guilt and self-condemnation. The other response is for you to have an expectation that God is about about to bring to you a deeper knowledge of himself. These responses are as different as night and day. Now verse 6 talked about how Zechariah and Elizabeth lived their lives following all the commandments of God. And yet they got silence from God decade after decade. So what good does it do to live a good life, a godly life, walking with the Lord, if you're going to get silence? Let me tell you what good it does. God used decades of silence on this particular issue in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life to shape and to form their hearts after him. To tenderize them to his voice and to his leadership and his touch. To prepare them for how they would be used of him. God uses right living in us. When I am living by the word of God. When I am living under the lordship of Jesus Christ. When I am walking with the Lord By the direction of his word, God takes that and God uses that to shape and to mold a heart in us that is after him. And one thing I've discovered in life, this heart of mine got saved back when I was in the fifth grade. But it is taking decades for my heart to be truly shaped after Jesus. I would like to say that I walked away from that altar in Patrick County when I was in the fifth grade and I wanted to serve Jesus and follow him a hundred percent. But it has taken years and years and it will continue to take years for it to be fully shaped after him. And all of us are in that boat. The Lord has to take us because we have a natural bent to do things our way and to walk away from the Lord. Even as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a natural bent to go our way and do our thing. And so God uses those times to say, I need in the silence to take you and to shape you. And I also need to prepare you for how I want to take you 
and for how I want to use you. Now notice what God does in this desperate prayer and respond to it. Verse 13. Zechariah walks into the holy place and all the other priests leave. He's there in the holy place by himself. The incense has been prepared. He puts the fire to it. The smoke starts going up. He's praying. And he's doing what he's supposed to be doing and what he's been instructed to do. And he's by himself in there and he's excited. And then he happens to look over and there on the right side stands an angel. Now, I don't know if, about you, but if I had been in Zachariah's shoes, I'd have turned around and run out of the holy place as fast as I could have run out of the holy place. I, you know, either that or I thought, Lord, I'm afflicted with my lid today. I'm so excited, and apparently I'm getting high on the incense, and I think there's an, in, an angel in here hanging out with me. You know, who, who, somebody did something to this incense today, and I'm doing something that you know, I shouldn't be uh, smelling and taking in, etc., i got some Middle Eastern weed in here that's uh, coming off of this altar, and I breathed in too much of it, etc. So he's looking over there, and he sees that angel, and he begins to get scared, and he begins to freak out as he looks at that angel. And the angel looks at him, it's Gabriel, and Gabriel looks at him and says, Zachariah, your prayer has been heard. And if I was Zachariah, I would think, well, that's good. I came in here praying, I was standing here before the altar praying, I was burning the incense praying, so God's heard my prayer today. Because Zechariah had probably long since given up and forgotten about the prayer that he had prayed as a teenager, Lord, give us a child. The prayer that he had prayed as he, in his 20s, Lord, would you give us a child? The prayer that he had prayed in desperation in his 30s, Lord, time's running out. Would you give us a child? A prayer that he had just finally probably in his 40s said, it's too late, it's not going to happen. And so I wouldn't be surprised if, if he hadn't prayed for a child in maybe as much as 20 years. And so when the angel says, your prayer is going to be answered, it's been heard from God, he probably wasn't thinking about having a kid. He's probably thinking, well, that's nice that God's shown up and told me he just heard the prayer I prayed. And when the angel said to him, you and Elizabeth are going to have a son and his name is going to be John, just that quickly, Zechariah realized something. He may have, in all due honesty, probably stopped praying that prayer at least 20 years ago, but God had not stopped listening and planning to answer that prayer. And folks, when we go before God, and we earnestly seek His face and present a request to Him, we may reach a point because of His silence that we just stop praying it anymore. We give up at a certain point and say, you know, I prayed that prayer and I prayed that prayer and I prayed that prayer and I gave that request to God and He has it answered and it's been years ago. It's been decades ago. I've just given up on it. But just because you and I gave up on it don't mean God's given up on it. Just because we think that because it's been silent so long, God's not going to do anything, doesn't mean the Lord's not listening and God's not going to answer. You see, the silence of God does not mean that He is not active. I cannot say that enough. The silence of God does not mean that He is not active. In fact, you will discover that God is most active when He seemingly is silent. God responds on His timetable. And God does not have to be noisy to do His work. 
God does not have to be noisy to do his work. And God is not going to step into our lives and try to outshout everything else that's going on in our lives in order to get our attention. So many times we, we just pack our lives with so much noise and so much activity, we almost dare God to step into our lives and outshout everything else to get our attention. But God doesn't do that. God does not say, listen to me, shout at you. God says what? Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And Zechariah stands there in the stillness of God, and as he stands there, he begins to realize, man, I prayed that prayer as a teenager. I prayed that prayer in my 20s. I started praying it in desperation and in and sweat in my 30s and then Elizabeth and I just gave up in our 40s and we hadn't prayed to God about a child in years but, but I realized this day that, that God was listening and God has been at work and living and working for Him is paying off and I'm glad I hung in there with the Lord because if I hadn't hung in there with the Lord, I wouldn't be standing in this place right now with an angel staring me in the face bringing me a message. I didn't miss out on what God was doing. See, the only two things that are going to keep us from receiving what the Lord is doing is our impatience or bitterness. If Zechariah had decided... I'm going to get a kid my own way and do things my own way. And I'm just going to move at it on my own way. His impatience would have kept him from the answer he desired. If he had gotten bitter with God and said, I'm not going to be a priest anymore. I'm not going to serve God anymore because God didn't answer my prayer. And I'm walking away from all this and I'm trashing it all. He would have missed what God was up to. What is God going to say to you and I when we start getting silent before him and start listening to him? Romans chapter 8. Verse 16, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. When you and I seek God, when we are at that place of the prayer of desperation, the first thing God's going to say to you and I is not, this is your answer. He's going to say, you belong to me. You're my child. And why is he going to say that? Because I need belonging more than I need an answer. I need belonging to Him more than I need my request met. I need the assurance of the relationship that I have with Him. And that I know that He's relating to me as a father, as a parent who loves me and cares for me. His Holy Spirit will bear witness with our spirit. That we belong to him. Zachariah stood there. And he saw that angel beside that altar. And he began to shake and be filled with fear. Why did God 
create the environment like that. Because Zechariah needed to fear God in order to hear from God. Zechariah needed to respect God in order to receive the message from God. Folks, we live in a culture today that just trashes respect for any authority. We live in a culture today that doesn't want to fear anything. And the results of this culture is that if I become conditioned that I don't fear and I don't respect, then guess what? I don't end up fearing and respecting God, which means I never hear from God. Because I cannot hear from God if I don't respect Him and if I don't have some decent fear of Him. You see, the fear of God that the Bible talks about is used by God to... Not have us run from God, but to respect God, to reverence God, to treat Him with the position that He holds and the value that He has so that I can listen to what He has to say to me. If I'm just going into God's presence telling Him what He ought to do, how He ought to do it, when He ought to do it, my prayer life isn't going to go anywhere. But if I go into the presence of the Lord and I say, Lord, I respect You. And I worship you for who you are. And I'm going to shut up for a while. And I'm going to listen to you. Then God can begin to speak to me. Because I finally learned how to listen to him. Notice the message, verse 14. You will have joy and gladness. This is the deepest sense of joy and peace. That comes from God. Then notice what he says in verse 14. Many will rejoice at your son's birth. And he goes on to talk about how John's, his, their son's going to be used of him to turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and the hearts of the people to the Lord, etc. And he just gives a prophecy, Gabriel the angel does, of all that God's going to do with their son. Now, what is God saying to John and to Elizabeth? This is what he's saying. I'm going to answer your prayer, but I want you to understand something. This answer is not just about you and your life. It's not just about you and your family. It is about kingdom work. It is about the work that I am getting ready to do throughout the whole world for all eternity. You're getting an answer. But one of the reasons I've held off this answer is you've got to understand something, John and Elizabeth. When that little baby is born and that little guy is running around the room and you're changing his diaper, you've got to realize this is eternal kingdom business. This is not just about him pooping in his diaper for the day. When you put the stuff in his mouth and, you know, you put the blabber in his mouth and he burps up and the stuff goes all over the place and you've got to clean it, the place smells horrible and all that. I understand that. But this is kingdom work that you're about. So get an understanding. This is kingdom work. Because that little mouth that just burped all that stuff out is going to become an adult mouth someday that God's going to fill with his message to turn people back to him. And the day that it comes that you're going to stand as parents... And you're going to watch your son leave home and head out into the wilderness to a future that he doesn't understand. And you all have got less clue about. And you're going to warn him back because this kid you prayed for and worked for is leaving home never to come back again. And you're going to say, I want my kid back. And why is that? Because this child is about kingdom work. And you need to recognize that it is about kingdom work. And folks, let me say something 
on the side, all of us in here that are parents or grandparents, we may not have a child with a John the Baptist call, but we have got children that have got some kind of call on their life. And God wants to use them in some way, and our job as parents is to facilitate and to be sensitive to what God is going to do with our children and our grandchildren. It's not my place to tell my kid how he's going to be used. It's my place to say, how is God using him, and how can I be a part of encouraging him and praying for my child in that regard, or children in that regard. John and Elizabeth, this is bigger than you. This isn't just your story. This is an eternal story. This is a kingdom story. I sometimes wonder, I know part of the reason John couldn't talk when he came out of there is God says you're going to be silent until he's born, but I can't help but wonder if John was like, man, I'm so overwhelmed. How do I talk about this? God kept him silent so he could pray about it and think about it until the child was born. And when God holds off answering our prayer, God, I think, is trying to say to us, I will answer your prayer on my timetable and in my way, but I want you to understand that my answer is not just about you. It is about a kingdom, eternal work that I am doing. And I want you to step outside of yourself and step into the work of my kingdom and realize that the answer I give you will be so much larger and greater than what you have prayed for and imagined. Why? Because this is God's stuff. This is God's kingdom. This is God's work. And His work is always so much bigger and greater than what we would anticipate and even pray for. Let's pray.